we know when we sing those things that they're true. We want to give them all the glory. And we want to give him praise and we want to honor him. And, and many times, subconsciously, we would think inside, I, I know that's true, but how do I actually do that? Is there something more than music through which I would do that? How do I actually allow that to flesh out in my life? Especially as we look back over the course of a week that might be behind us and maybe not feel so good about one of the days out of the last seven or two or three of the days. Maybe even to the point we'd want to do over. And we leave ourselves with that question of, I want to give them glory and honor and praise, but do I really? Paul writes about that very thing in these last few verses about how we actually give glory and honor. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, go with me. I get to say this for the last time. Go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 16. If you're new to New Hope, I'm not done today, but we're done with Romans today. Uh, if you're new here, um, we've spent three years in the book of Romans. And so this is our, our final day. Uh, I told Lori earlier this week, I don't want to be done. Uh, but God made it clear I'm supposed to be done. So um, we will wrap it up today. Romans chapter 16, verse 25, if you have a Bible with you. And if you don't own Bible, um, we have free Bibles in the back on that round table back there. Grab one when you leave this morning. I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Last week, we left ourselves with a little bit of a dilemma. Because I asked this question, kind of like we're dangling out there. How do you end this after three years? How do you wrap up something of this intensity, this magnitude, what's considered to be the greatest writing ever? We only made it halfway through verse 25 last week. And some of you probably thought, well, we're going to spend the rest of the summer in this thing. Well, let me take on what we looked at last week and amplify it a little bit, and you're going to see why that was so crucial to hemming together these reminding two verses Paul rightly described this and took on this last couple verses as a doxology. And if you've been raised in church, you know what a doxology is, but maybe it's not popping in your mind. If you're new to church, you're thinking, what's that word? The doxa is glory, and logos is word. So you put the two together, and you have doxology, doxa and logos, and it means a word that ascribes glory or words that ascribe glory. That's exactly what Paul does here. So the conviction behind it is this. Everything that is, everything that exists, exists for the glory of God. Say amen if you agree with that. Everything. Everything that exists is for the glory of God. So in Paul's doxa, he takes on this remarkable attribute here of God when he describes God as the one who is able... And then he flips it on a dime. He's able to strengthen you. You got relationships going bad. You got jobs that aren't working out the way you thought they were going to. Maybe you got the bad health report. Paul says God is the one who's able to strengthen you. And that's how he decides to begin bringing this plane to a landing. His doxology. So Paul begins the doxology. Now to him. Go with me on verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. And I want you to hear it in its full resonance. Now, now to him. And if it sounds dramatic, it's because it is. Paul intends it that way. It's meant to be dramatic. He's not declaring this lightly. He's talking about the action of God. The action of God in your life. The action of God throughout all of history on this planet. So Paul starts out that way. Now to him who is able, and he's doing this because we would understand that all of God's action on this planet was directed towards us in order that we would bring glory toward him. That's why he's done what he's done. Our very reason for being. If you've ever wondered, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my reason for being? It's to bring glory to God. That's why you're here. It's the chief end of man. So Paul starts out with this doxology for that way and for all the things he could say about the great abilities of God, of all the things he could point you to, he chooses to highlight this one thing. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you when you're going through those hard times. It will take him until verse 27 to get how he brings glory out of that, but he's going to get there, and we're going to get there. But let's go first to that one thing that we came away with last week. When God strengthens you, it reminds us that he doesn't secure his strength by keeping his people weak. And we contrasted that last week to world rulers and world dictators, especially the ancient kings of history, who put their people under the boot of the heel of the king and kept the people weak so that the king would be strong. That's not your God. That's not what God does. God makes you stronger. God is the one who strengthens you, and he's magnified by making you strong. How does he do that? God makes you stronger with the truth of the gospel. Did you know that you will never outgrow your need for the gospel? It's not like you heard it, you came to Christ, and then you're moving on and say, well, that was for the very beginning. I I don't need to hear that again. Paul's writing that you need this for the rest of your life. It strengthens you day in and day out. You need it. If you're new to church, you need to hear this. The heart of the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus left eternity, came to this planet, died for your sins, was buried, resurrected, and is coming back again one day. You want the gospel in a nutshell, that's it. He loves you so much, he came for you. Died for your sins. That's good news. Now, here's an example of good news. If you left church this morning and you went home, maybe you flipped on your phone and you pulled up a news app or you turned on the news channel and you read a headline that said, Iran has destroyed all of their nuclear weapons. You'd say, that's good news from the other side of the world, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you go, wow, that is great. And then we'd forget about it. Maybe a week later, maybe two weeks later, we'd move on to something else because that's human nature. It's good news, but what's the next thing? Well, God knows that we would move on to the next thing, and he wants us to know that this good news is something you never move on from. You don't begin this Christian life with this good news and then leave it behind as though there's something stronger. God strengthens you with the gospel to the day that you will die because the reality is that Jesus has you. If you're a believer, he has you for all eternity no matter what. No matter the job loss, no matter the health report, 
No matter if you end up on a bed only able to blink your eyes. John Piper spoke to this. I want you to see his quote. God is able to strengthen with a kind of inner strength through faith in Christ that makes you stronger in a wheelchair than 10,000 moral jellyfish drifting on two legs with the current of modern culture. What we want is the kind of strength that will be here when we are paralyzed and can only answer questions with our eyelids. Well said, John. Well stated. In other words, even if the world around you is going to hell and seemingly everything is collapsing around you, even if your social relationships are busted up, you've lost your job, you've lost your health, everything is gone, Jesus still has you. He keeps you planted. He keeps you firm. He keeps you strong. Through it all, God says the knowledge of the gospel is your strength. That's, that's strength through conviction. That's why Scripture can say things like this in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And I'm here to ask you this morning, is that true of you? Will you be able to on that day when you're only able to blink your eyelids? Internally, will you say, I know he's got me. I haven't crossed over eternity's shore yet, but it's coming. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about the strength of the gospel. So Paul's very first praise, his first doxa, is that God establishes us. He is able because he has the abundant power to hold you until the very end. So why does Paul call this his gospel? Well, look with me on the screen one more time at this first part of verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He's saying my gospel because it's all about Jesus and his gospel is all about talking about the preaching of Jesus because Jesus is the core that very thing which establishes you and strengthens you is the truth that Jesus is the risen Lord and that he is coming again one day. Amen, New Hope? You don't sound like you believe it. Amen. Well, let's, let's do that again. That he is the risen Lord and he's coming again one day. Amen. Good for you. All right, you sound like the room is full even though it's not. Good for you. That truth that he's got you even if you end up with the loss of everything, you win because Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins it all for you. Now, you're all caught up here. It took five minutes to get to that place, but you're caught up now through what we looked at last week for almost 40 minutes. Verse 25 finishes out this way. According to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret, for long ages past. So the gospel does a couple things we're seeing. The gospel also reveals a mystery. It not only establishes you, not only firmly roots you, but the gospel, the good news, it also reveals a mystery that has been kept secret for a long, long time. Now, many of us here love a good mystery. We would say we love mystery novels. We love movies that are mystery-based. We love television shows that have mystery. We, we wait for the whodunit part. Well, that's not what this is talking about. This is not the connotation in the English language. It's, it's not like a whodunit novel. In the New Testament, this mystery, it's referring to something that was hidden in former times. 
but now has been made known. Specifically, a truth about God. God's truth that was revealed in a present age that was hidden a long time ago that people couldn't make sense of. Partially revealed in the Old Testament, but now fully. So what Paul's really dabbling in here, what he's beginning to talk about, is the silence of God. And I know many of you have gone through journeys, health journeys, relationship journeys, financial journeys, where you just wondered, why is God silent? Why am I not hearing from Him? This is part of what Paul's talking about here. The willful silence of God. So we're in that place where God has information that He chooses to withhold until His purposes have been accomplished. God, why is my friend going through this? Why did this happen to my child? Why would you hide information, God? So we're in that place where we're talking about the silence of God, and we have to understand this is a positive. It's not a bad thing, and we're tempted to look at this through the lens of it being bad. There's multiple quotes in your notes this morning, and one of them is not going to appear on the screen. It's from Day Willie, and, and it's just this thought. He, he literally sums it up this way by saying we, we've got to understand the silence of God is not a deprivation. And it's not the absence of speech. That's not what we're talking about. This is something positive. God's silence is no more only the absence of speech than health is the absence of sickness. That would be a very incomplete description of your health. If you have good health, it's not just the absence of sickness. That'd be using a negative to describe a positive. That'd be like you going to the Grand Canyon and seeing that incredible creation and then coming back and having someone say to you, so what was it like? What did you see? And your response would be, a big hole. Really? Well, I didn't fall in. That's what you got out of that? You'd be using a negative to describe a positive. The absence of God speaking in the silence of God is no more the absence of speech than health is the absence of sickness. Here's what the silence of God stands for. The silence of God stands for God's hiddenness. In other words, this. The truth that His inmost being is not open to Mark Kring's scrutiny. His inmost being is not open to the moral scrutiny of individuals like us who are time-limited. God is not meant to be examined by us. So this silence doesn't signify an absence on God's part, but rather a wealth, a profusion, an issue into which a word may enter. So when you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the writings of the prophets, you see bits and pieces. A virgin shall be with child. My holy one, the anointed one, will justify all those bits and pieces individuals were left with for millennia to try and assemble this mystery of God. What is he speaking of? 
But the truth is, when it comes to the issue of the silence of God, God remains hidden even for those to whom he is known. You know God this morning because you know Jesus. Therefore, you know the Father. He's known by you, but he's not known completely. He may choose to make himself more known. But it doesn't mean that we understand everything about him and that everything's been revealed. There still remains that about God, which is beyond our perception. Let me illustrate this for you by talking about the angels. We're told there's mysteries in which the angels long to look, mysteries that God has kept revealed. Look with me on the screen, 1 Peter 1.12. These things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Now, the remarkable thing about that is they were there. They were there at the crucifixion of Jesus. They're older, smarter, stronger, faster, bigger than you. They've been around since the beginning of creation. And yet the crucifixion and the willful sacrifice of God the Son and the mercy of the grace of God is something they long to understand better. Well, they've never had to know grace. You have. This is a mystery to them. So there's things about God which are kept revealed, things that he doesn't choose to show. So you have to understand this mystery component in order to move forward because the mystery has a couple aspects to it. This first aspect is one that's a truth. That this points to a gospel that could never be known by you and I ourselves. It could never be understood of our own understanding. God had to explain it to you. Why do I say that? Because the truth about Jesus coming from heaven to die for you and being resurrected and returning again for you one day, that part of that mystery to make sense to you had to be revealed by God because we're told it's a mystery from long ages past. It's from eternity, meaning it's of God. And unless God chooses to reveal it, you can't understand it. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is that this mystery is that the Son of God would leave heaven, that he would come be among us, and that we can enter into salvation, but only by faith, not by works. That's another aspect of this mystery, and it leads us to a third one. Paul says there's a, there's a third mystery here. It has to do with the entire global population of this planet. Everyone who has ever lived, breathed, and died, everyone who is still living to this day. This aspect of this mystery is that because of what Jesus did, there can be a uniting of the entire human race. He says both Jews and Gentiles as believers in one body called the church, if they would just believe. That's why he said there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. If you're in Jesus, we're all one. That was a mystery. So to be very specific, this mystery that he's talking about, Paul says this has been hidden, but look at what's revealed now. It's Ephesians 3, 6, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God's ultimate plan for this entire global population, for those who would believe, it includes 
all the Gentiles as much as the Jews. Say amen if you agree with this, because he is not willing that any would perish, right? But that all would come to repentance. So God doesn't want anyone to perish. He invites them to believe. Paul says that mystery now has been made known. That one that was kept secret, go with me to verse 26, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, that's the Old Testament, the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations. And here's the reason we spent three years in the book of Romans. Here's the end result. Leading to the obedience of faith. You wonder why you're here? You wonder why you're on this planet? Why was I born? What is my purpose? Paul sums it up right there, leading to the obedience of the faith. So he starts where you need to start. But now, that's pointing to a definitive event. Which event? Christmas. But now it's been manifested. He's talking about the first coming of Jesus. That's what he's pointing to here. That Jesus made sense of everything. It's kind of an obvious statement, but just look with me on the screen at what Leon Morris said about this. He said, Paul is saying that the real meaning of the Old Testament has become apparent through the coming of Christ. I know it's obvious, but sometimes it helps to read it. It's essentially what he's summing up here. So he says, but now it's been manifested. What had been predicted in veiled words by the scriptures of the prophets, the Old Testament. What had been kept a mystery has now been made obvious. What the Old Testament seemingly spoke of in brain teasers, now it's like, I get it. This makes sense to me. Let me show you three real clear examples of what we're talking about from the Old Testament that other people, and I'm talking about those who lived before Jesus, could not make sense of. Look with me on the screen. Isaiah 53, 11. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Who's he talking about there, New Hope? Who is that? You're hesitant to say Jesus. It's the Jesus answer, right? It's always the safe answer. Everybody ask you a question, Jesus. Okay, that's the Jesus answer. That's, you're safe on that one. That's the righteous one. That's my servant. Here, how about this one? Exodus, or Genesis 12, 3. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why is that one so significant? Because as an ancient people, those who had been rescued from Egypt, Israel thought that that was just about them. They thought all these prophecies were about them as a nation. But God couldn't be clearer when he talked to Abraham. He said, no, all the families of the earth, they're going to be blessed. So speaking specifically of Jesus in the Old Testament, look at this one. Isaiah 49.6, I will also make you, Jesus, I will make you, Son of God, I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It is so very plain now. You can see it and you say, I get it. Why can't they get it? That was Paul's question. You ever sat across the table from someone in your social circle, maybe a coworker? maybe in your family room and you sat with a family member and you tried to explain to them the things of Jesus and all you got back was a blank stare. If you've been there, I've been there. I know exactly that experience. An individual who would look back at you and say, 
what? It doesn't make any sense. What's going on there? That, that was Paul's question. How can we read the same thing and get something completely different out of it? Well, the individual has blinders on, according to Scripture. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so we have to have God intervene. God has to be the one who opens the eyes. In the nation of Israel, Paul said it's actually a hardening that's happened to them. Look with me at Romans 11.25. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. How long is that? What is that? How long will that last? Until the global population of the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, have had the full opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. How long is that? I don't know. Until God's timing has been accomplished. Until God's purposes are fulfilled. In the meantime, he keeps from acting in that issue. And we would say, God, why are you silent? He's not silent. He's speaking. So take all of what you've just looked at here in these first 20 minutes and put it together and now hear the fullness of what Paul wrote. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the man commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of the faith. And if it feels dramatic, it's because it is. Paul's not saying this lightly. He's saying your very purpose for existence is to bring glory to God, the obedience of the faith. So he starts with verse 26 by saying, now, now the gospel has been made known for one purpose and one purpose alone, to bring glory to God. The end purpose, to bring glory to him. An eternal God working out an eternal purpose. Hear that again. An eternal God working out an eternal purpose, and this purpose is to lead people to the obedience of the faith. So here's how it applies to you. Maybe you're already there and you're thinking, I already got this, Mark. I know this. Follow me on this. When your belief in Jesus, when your faith in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus, those obedient lives bring glory to God. So when you believe Jesus and it changes you and you are obedient, God gets glory. So it's not just about the music that we sing. It's not just about well-crafted songs that you hear on Sunday morning. It's about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday night. It's about what you did in the last 24 hours, but it's also what you're going to do in the next 24 hours. So that's the big thought. Here's the little thought that goes with us. In Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, we're told there's going to be life change. To be obedient means that there's something that's happened to you. 
You no longer look at sex the same way you used to. You no longer handle money the same way. How you view people, how you handle your career, everything changes. If not, you're not being obedient to the faith. That's why Paul puts this all together. When faith in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus, those obedient lives, they bring glory to God. So you're wondering, how do I do this day in and day out? I didn't do so good this last week. Well, maybe you did have a day that was better than another day. And maybe there were days you wanted to do over on. But praise God, those days and how you behave in those days, they don't determine your eternal destiny because God's got you no matter what. That's called grace, right? But that belief in Jesus is going to produce an obedience, and that obedience brings glory to God. So Paul says the purpose of the mystery, it's now revealed. It's to bring all nations to the obedience of the faith. And with that, Paul closes this letter with the very same aim that he began with. Think back, Romans chapter 1. Maybe you can't remember back to June 2016. It's okay, I don't blame you if you can't. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, Now it's been granted to me the grace of apostleship to explain to you the obedience of the nations. And it took him 16 chapters to get there. And he ends chapter 16 with that very thought. So here's verse 27. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. And I'm going to hold the amen for just a moment. To the only God who alone is all wise. Here's why I speculate. I suspect there's a reason why he points to that attribute. Why his wisdom here, Paul? This is why I think. Because only one of infinite wisdom could design this plan of your redemption. It took him 16 chapters to explain it. It took us three years to walk through it. And Paul's saying there's only one who could come up with this. You could live a billion, billion, billion years and never design what God has designed. Do you think of the intricacies God had to weave together to make this mystery available to you? Only one of wisdom could do that. So Paul crowns the 7,000-word dissertation to the only wise God, the one who built you, the one who loves you, the one who knows you intimately, to that one, through Jesus Christ, he supremely revealed his grace and his wisdom. Therefore, Paul says, be the glory. Be the glory to him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what you have done to manifest the reality of what you expect of us over these last three years, I pray now, Father, that it will flesh out in the years ahead of us, both 
here corporately at the church, New Hope, and individually in our lives as we take on the day today and tomorrow, that we truly could point to ourselves and say there's a greater degree of obedience in me today than there was five years ago. God, that we would press on toward that. That we would model these things that we've learned in Romans in such a way that you would be magnified. That we would not keep it to ourselves. There's so many that need to know this good news. Father, use us. That's what we're inviting. We're inviting that you would use us to bring glory and honor to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and bow before you. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.